0: I want us to consider two very serious questions. Number one, how important is God's view of unity? And number two, how does God see division or those who cause division? We know who the people are, but how does God see them? That's what I'm getting at here. Psalm 133, one. just write it down. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. But it's verses two and three that answer the question. How good and pleasing is it, psalmist? So tell us how good and pleasing is it? He goes on and he says, It is as good and pleasing as Aaron being anointed as priest and the dew, the majesty, the amazing thing that happened on Mount Hermon when God declared the blessing life forever. If you want to know how serious God views unity, he thinks it is as good and as pleasing as the priesthood, which all of us are a part of now, and eternal life. Number two, how does God see division or those who cause division? Write this one down too. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. There are six things which the Lord hates. That's a strong words, Solomon. Yeah, it is. It's awesome. Right? There are six things which the Lord hates. Yes, seven which are an abomination to him. Now, I want you to listen to the first six and then see that God lumps division in with these Haughty eyes, that's a proud person, okay? A lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a murderer, wow. A heart that devises wicked plans, a schemer. Feet that run rapidly to evil, so one who just loves doing evil. A false witness who utters lies, somebody who lies about another brother because they want their way, a false witness who utters lies, and with all those six, the one who spreads strife among brothers. God hates those things and considers them an abomination. So we know what God thinks of unity, and we also know what God thinks of division. So back to Romans 16. Now I urge you, I think we have a better understanding of how important this urging was, right? Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eyes on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned, and turn away from them. For such men are slaves, not of our Lord Jesus Christ, but of their own appetites. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. Let's take a a really important turn towards maturity. Notice it's the unsuspecting that are targeted here. False teachers, heretics, those who like to divide are just like what we would say in our modern world. They're just like bullies and just like abusers. They pick on the weak. That's what they do. They pray on the weak. But knowing this helps us to understand not only the Christian value of maturity, but one of the most important reasons behind it. And that reason is so we need to be mature so that we won't be duped by these liars, by these cheaters, by these thieves, by these dissenters. Why? Who are they praying on, church? They're praying on those who are unsuspecting. What should we be, vigilant Christians? We should know God's word. We should grow up. We should learn what we need to learn so that we can understand God's word. The Corinthians were not these people. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1-3, through Paul writes to them, he says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but what? But as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ, I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you're not yet able. Poor guys. But what was the problem? Well, we didn't have enough information. No, 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 no. Paul planted this church. Paul has been intimately associated with their growth. They just choose to do wrong. They choose to not listen. Indeed, even now you're not able, for you are still fleshly. How does Paul know that they're still fleshly? Look at what he says next. He says, for since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? And are you not walking like mere men? Divisive people are the problem. And divisive people can prey on the innocent. And sadly, the innocent can then become divisive too. Do you see this, church? It's... It's powerful. Paul goes on a few chapters later in 1 Corinthians. He says, brethren, do not be children in your thinking. Do not be children in your thinking. Uh, he goes on. He says, yet in evil be infants, but in your thinking be mature. Okay? In your thinking, you need to grow up. You need to be mature. The problem with immaturity, uh, the problems with immaturity are multifaceted, but our, our context says that the problem with immaturity is that it makes for an easily divided people. We've got to be super careful on this. This was the problem in the Old Testament too. In Jeremiah's day, God's people were uh, an absolute mess. I, I encourage you to study the book of Jeremiah. It's very powerful. But in Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 22, it says, uh, For my people are foolish. They know me not. Favorite line in the Bible, they are stupid children and have no understanding. (laughs) The Bible says stupid, okay, and have no understanding. They are shrewd to do evil. What are they plotting and scheming to do? Evil. They're shrewd to do evil, but to do good, they do not know. If you know any of the history of Israel, then you know that while Jeremiah and his contemporaries were preaching uh, God's truth and calling Israel and Judah to repentance, false shepherds had crept in and they were declaring, this was their message. Oh, God's not that serious. Peace, peace be upon you. Safety. It's going to be okay. It's all going to be fine. Don't you worry about this. Even while these people are living in sinful rebellion. Church, hear me clearly. This is exactly what's happening in the church today. The church at large looks no different from the rest of the world. And that's a, that's a pity. But what do we do? We surround ourselves with teachers that tell us what our itching ears want to hear. Not so much here, sorry. Sorry. We surround ourselves with teachers who tell us what our itching ears want to hear, and here's what happens. People tell us while we're living in abject sin, while we're living in utter sinful wickedness, we hear teachers say, hey, we're all just striving, we're all going to get there, and nobody's ever trying to get anywhere. This is not what the Bible says. And I've said this a thousand times, church, but in the eight years that we have been here in planting this church, I can't count how many times I've had somebody come to me affording really awesome criticism and saying, I think, Nathan, you take this too seriously. (laughs) I can't tell you how many times I've heard that criticism. First of all, I'm not going to stop taking it that seriously. And second of all, there's nothing to take more seriously than eternity amen do you hear me our holiness our righteousness our life lived pleasing to the god who made us there's nothing more important than this church so what we should be as christians is humble enough to say man fellow christian i've got some sin in my life and it has to go because i'm not being pleasing to my father We need to weep tears of of repentance and tears of pain before our Creator and say, God, I want to be more like you every single day. The church doesn't need a bigger sound system, cooler lights, or a more attractional model. It needs holy people.